Greetings, everyone. This is Canadian Meets the South, episode 12, The Rise and Fall of Light Horse Harry Lee. Um, I forgot the author. Um, but um, if you don't know, Light Horse Harry Lee or Henry Lee III was Robert E. Lee's father. And I'm reviewing this book. It was, I have to say that this book also came from a nationalist lens, used nationalist language to describe the United States. Um, but it started off with the origins of the Lee clan, if you want to call it the Lee family, back in the 17th century. Um, the The... Henry Lee I uh, was from England, and he traveled to Virginia, like a lot of aristocrats. I talked about um, Albion Seed in Albion Seed last podcast that um, it was uh, the aristocratic gentry of Virginia that uh, Lee was part of, and. Henry Lee II was um, actually around the same age as George Washington, I think a couple years older. And his wife um, was courted by George Washington when Washington was about 17. And this was before they married. But um, George Washington was known before the the American War for Independence um, as a hero in the French and Indian Wars back in the 50s. And uh, Henry Lee II knew him and was on friendly terms with him. And so did his son, Henry Lee III. Uh, his son knew George Washington from a very young age and admired him. And both Lee II, his, uh, his father, and George Washington had served in the Virginia House of Burgesses, which was the precursor to the House of Delegates today. And, um, let's see, what else can I talk about? The story is about, I mean, the, the book was really about Henry Lee III, he, it starts off a lot, a lot of it, the first half especially was about his involvement in the war for independence. And there were a lot of stories and his admiration for General Nathaniel Green was part of it, but I don't really want to focus too much on the war per se. I, I'd rather talk about the politics, because this is what I was really interested in. He, uh, he was a supporter of the Constitution. Um, well, his fa- his father, Lee II, died in 1787. But um, when they were replacing the Constitution, like in the in Virginia's Constitutional Convention in 1788. Um, Patrick Henry 
and George Mason were against the Constitution. Um, while as the three main, well, the, the main guys for the Constitution, besides Henry Lee III, were James Madison, um, Edmund Randolph, and John Marshall. Um, interestingly, um, when uh, he was, uh, Henry Lee III was classmates with James Madison and Aaron Burr back in, I think, Yale, um, in New Jersey. I keep getting Yale and Princeton mixed up, but they were classmates, and, uh, um, what I found interesting was when Patrick Henry had said, had given the speech, uh, we the people or we the states. Um, we, uh, I re remember talking last year in uh, The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government by Jefferson Davis, in which Davis says, uh, talks about this, but he mentions James Madison's um, response, which was, uh, we the people, well, referring to the preamble of the United States Constitution, ref uh, referred to the people of the sovereign states, like in each, and, you know, in the Confederate Constitution, in the, the, the permanent Constitution, it said, we the people of, of the Confederate states, with each state acting in its own sovereign and independent capacity, or something along the lines of that, right? But, Henry Lee III, his response, which was the day after Henry Patrick Henry gave the speech, was that he was an American and that he fought alongside people from Northerners, like in Virginia, uh, in New Jersey, and he had this brotherhood with them. But in all local affairs, he was a Virginian, but he was an American in the like the nationalist sense. And he certainly believed more than Madison in this one people theory. Um, Henry Lee III was, you know, close, close with both George Washington. He was the like the right hand man of George Washington. You could say uh, he was. He served as aide to camp under Washington. And he was yeah part of the inner circle, alongside uh, Alexander Hamilton, whom he had a good relationship with. Um, but even though his son fought, you could say for the Virginian, the a Jeffersonian Virgi version of Virginia, which was based on states' rights. Henry Lee the Third was, for the most part, much more a nationalist. Than his son, than his famous son. Um, he, but yeah, even when George Washington was in hit in office, um, he had a good relationship with him and Alexander Hamilton. When Patrick Henry became the leader 
um, well, beca uh, became like a Federalist and he ran, uh, this was around 1798, um, because he ran um, when elected what was elected as a Federalist. And I remember um, John Randolph of Roanoke had said to Patrick Henry that he did admire um, Patrick Henry. Um, this was 1798 was when John Randolph of Roanoke was first elected to the House of Representatives. But Henry did die before he took his seat. But I didn't know until listening to this book that uh, Henry Lee told George Washington that he uh, that Patrick Henry now has become more friendly to the Constitution and that he should be appointed to the Supreme Court. But, you know, Patrick Henry refused. He declined. Uh, I guess I it's kind of late, nine minutes in, but he the reason why he was called Light Horse Harry Lee was because he was a caval cavalry man, not a not a foot not really a foot soldier. And Actually, his son, Henry Lee IV, who was Robert E. Lee's half-brother, was known as Black Horse Harry Lee, was also, I believe, a cavalryman. But um, after that, after, say, 1798, well, hold on, they were, seven, sorry. No, this is, I'm getting confused here, I'm sorry. Because 1798, George Washington was already left office and John Adams was president. But he had, he had uh, Patrick Henry had become a Federalist earlier. So uh, Lee told him to consider, Lee told George Washington to consider him for the Supreme Court. But um, even in, um, Henry Lee had served in both the House of Representatives and in the House of Delegates. And as governor of Virginia, actually. And when he was governor, this is like 1791 to 1794, George, uh, the, the Whiskey Rebellion occurred in 94. And he had left Virginia to take up, uh, to, to become the leader of, of the army against the Whiskey Rebellion. I've talked about how this is unconstitutional, the, how uh, like putting down the Whiskey Rebellion was unconstitutional in previous ep episodes but um he uh was not re-elected after that he was replaced after that because um he left virginia but when the during george washington's presidency when it became clear that alexander hamilton wanted to tax the south and he had come up with the tariff of 1792. Henry Lee did speak out against this and said, and saw that this was what Patrick Henry was uh, had foretold about the North taxing the South, um, outvoting and um, but I mean the tariff of 1792 did not pass, but and even though. He was. He did criticize the the administration for this, including Alexander Hamilton. He was still on good terms with both Washington and Hamilton. Um, but who he wasn't, who he really did not get on good terms with was Thomas Jefferson, 
um, after, um, during John Adams' presidency, um, they, uh, Adams, Jefferson, and Lee were, were dining, and then after Jefferson had gone away, Lee had asked Adams, what do you think of Jefferson? He's, and John Adams said, he's my friend and my vice president. Um, I mean, back then it was everyone, like, everyone was competing for both president and vice president. If you, if you understand, like, this is before the 12th Amendment. And what's funny was Lee really didn't like Jefferson. And he had, he was angry at Jefferson for having abandoned Richmond when Jefferson was the governor during the War for Independence. And he was, he, he didn't see that John Adams should be, should have been more careful because Jefferson really, although they, they were friends, Jefferson and Adams, Jefferson wanted the presidency and eventually he got it. Um, it doesn't, this book really doesn't mention too much about John Marshall other than, you know, he's an ally and doesn't mention Bushrod Washington at all, who both Marshall and Bushrod were appointed to the Supreme Court by John Adams. And I, I found that interesting that Bushrod wasn't mentioned. Maybe they didn't really have that much of a relationship, him and Lee, but I don't know. Next, um, well, I guess I should mention that Light Horse Harry Lee had two wives and he had children with several children with both. Henry, uh, Robert E. Lee is the, the third son of the second wife. But um, the first wife um, was uh, had, uh, he had he had uh, Henry Lee the fourth uh, Black Horse Henry Lee. And both he and Black Horse Henry Lee were notorious for speculating with land and getting into massive debt and not getting rich. And, you know, I think they both went to debtor's jail. Um, and after, on the, the, the waning days of Jefferson's presidency, he he really gave Jefferson hell. Like um, really was angry at Jefferson, blamed Jefferson for his debt troubles, and wrote a memoir about the war for independence, blame um saying that what Jefferson did abandoning Richmond was wrong during that during that time period, and well yeah he was trying to make money off of that memoir. Um. And then during the War of 1812, um, he tries, uh, he's a Federalist, right? And the Federalists were against the war, while the Democratic Republicans were for the war, especially the South. What was interesting 
was John C. Calhoun was mentioned. And as you know, in 1782, he that was when he was born. He was born during uh, the the closing years of the of the American War for Independence. And it touches a little the book touches a little bit on Calhoun, how he is a was a fiery nationalist. And uh, I mean, he would later become uh, the face of states' rights after John Randolph of Roanoke died. But um, uh, he, and also he would, before that, he would be James Monroe's Secretary of War. But I don't think um, Harry Lee lived to see that, or he might have saw it at the very beginning. But during the war, but he, but Calhoun was one of the big supporters of the war. He was one of the war hawks, right? Like Richard Mentor Johnson and Henry Clay. Now, um, if uh, he, uh, Harry Lighthorse Lee said that if they had gone to war, he would, if he, if he would be called upon to go to war again. Um, for against Great Britain, he would, but um, he was, I don't, I don't really remember all the details, but he was, he was trying to help this Federalist in. Uh, these Federalists in Maryland, and there was a Democratic Republican mob that was attacking them. Um, it was a little bit complicated, but um, basically. He was maimed for life and really injured in Maryland, and uh, the the he and the other Federalists were being called Tories by the Republicans, even though many of those Federalists had battle scars from the War for Independence. And I, I guess it, they were called Tories because they were against the war. Most, most of the Federalists, but. Uh, he, uh, and also, before that, he he was sent by James Monroe, who was the Secretary of State and Secretary of War, actually, under James Madison to, um, to like, the Caribbean and Caribbean to, to talk with the British, and it seemed that they didn't want war. He actually... Um, sorry... There was also, but um, after the, after um, getting maimed by the Republicans in Maryland, some newspapers said he died. So I mean, some of the Federalists who actually got mobbed, died, or um, but others like him survived. But the newspapers initially said he died, but he he was alive, and um, he was he wasn't really there for. The children of his second wife. I mean, for the very first son of his second wife, he he was there for ten years, and he got to know his first son. But but his second and third sons, and the the daughter, the or well, I don't remember how many daughters he had with the second wife. But um, he didn't really get to know the rest of his children with the second wife, and he he was too busy, like either in debtor's jailers or something or 
yeah, or like that time in Maryland in which he got beat up. He was he wasn't there, and later on, Robert E. Lee would learn more about him, like after the war, especially. Um, but um, he died, and people remembered him for being um good friends with George Washington. Um, and George Washington. Oh, sorry, and you know, when in 1817, or no, 1823, about 1824, um, John C. Calhoun get kind of gets to know Robert E. Lee. Um, Robert E. Lee's uncle writes to Calhoun, who's the Secretary of War, that uh, not so much he doesn't really bring up like his academic prowess. He brings up that uh, Robert comes from a great family. The of of um, like his father still was known as a hero in the revolution. And um, uh, because he wanted to be Robert E. Lee wanted to you know get into West Point right and and only had a few spots every year. Um, so. Robert E. Lee and actually Jefferson Davis, they, they were, I think they were classmates. Um, yeah, they, they were both, you know, signed off by uh, John C. Calhoun, Secretary of War, and then like officially by James Madison. Uh, I don't know the exact details, but certainly Calhoun knew, knew both Lee and Davis. Uh, I've mentioned about Davis later. They would they he later served in the Senate with Davis. But um towards the end it really explains that the book really explains that and puts co- contrasts Robert E. Lee and his father. Robert E. Lee fought more for him for Virginia, for like states' rights. While as most of the time like um he uh his father was a nationalist his father was considered a moderate federalist who wanted to bring both sides in but actually nathaniel macon and robert e., uh and harry lighthouse lee are contrasted because um when washington died and there was going to be a memorial for for him nathaniel macon from north carolina who was also a revolutionary war soldier, I think, had said that uh, if we do this, then all the other presidents are going to have memorials and it's just going to cost a lot of money. While as uh, Harry Lee was really in favor of this monument, and of course he would be, because he was friends with George Washington and was, you know, um, basically on the other end of Nathaniel Macon. And so it did pass the House, but the, the the motion to create a memorial for Washington, but the Senate really lowered the, num- the amount of money um, sent to, uh, appropriated for this. And I guess Nathaniel Macon, it talked a little bit about how he was, he really did not like debt and how towards the end of his life, he made, he made sure that in his funeral that he wouldn't 
be in, to, in debt to anyone. So I found that really interesting. Um, Nathaniel Macon really outlived Lee by a lot. He lived to see Martin Van Buren, Buren become president in 1837. He supported Van Buren in 1836. Um, I think Polk and um, James Buchanan also had really admired Nathaniel Macon. But that's, a, that's another topic for another day, maybe. Um, we're talking about Lee here. And it contrasts Lee about how Lee went into Pennsylvania to fight against the Union, for fight against the United States. Uh, where we're talking about, you know, the Battle of Gettysburg. And his father went to put down the Whiskey Rebellion over 60 years prior. So this is, um, this is a very, they, they are really contrasted here. And, you know, if, um, so I, I was thinking during the book, when I was listening to the book, wow, his father was really different from his son, although they were both soldiers, but um, one was much more nationalistic and the other was fighting for his own state more. Henry, it seems like Robert E. Lee cared more about Virginia and Virginia's rights more than than his father. But obviously, like to, to be fair, his father served in House of Delegates and was the governor and the House of Representatives. He was more of a politician and he did speak up against, you know, um, being taxed by the administration under Secretary, uh, with Secretary of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton. Um, what else can I say? Um, anyways, um, we'll move on to, like, today, uh, like, current Canadian politics and linking federalism with um like this Canadian federalism with today um or with like the book I, I'm gonna just say like it's yeah it's about states rights um I know that Maxime Bernier had called out Pierre Polyev and Jean Chardet for um being federal imperialists on Twitter like Jean Charest wanted to force the provinces to reform healthcare, while as Pierre Polyev would use force uh, to the to force the provincial and local governments to to change like policies on housing. And if you don't know, if you're listening from America, how there's a housing crisis in. Canada, in which the price of prices of houses have risen so much compared to the houses in housing prices in the United States, and um, Pierre Polyev, who seems he seems to be the a very free market guy compared to you know Jean Charest or Patrick Brown, but he does still want heavy-handed government like from the federal perspective like when it comes to this issue housing because 
I'm looking like at the there are six candidates uh, we can talk about the ones who got disqualified later but um five of them are from Ontario and Jean Charest is from Quebec and um I'm not really seeing too much of states rights compared to compared to um Maxime Bernier I know Kevin O'Leary's is supporting uh, Jean Charest, and back in 2017, after he had dropped out of the leadership race, he backed Bernier. I don't know if this is, if this is just Quebecism, like if he's just being a, a sectionalist because he doesn't even speak French. But um, um, like that's part of the reason why he dropped out. And but Bernier and Charest are very different. Both of them are very different, but. Like even though they're both Quebecers, they're one is so much more decentralist and free market than the other. Um and I realize like uh, two of the guys who got disqualified, I'm not even sure why. Like the CPC leadership election committee is you know, it's kind of undemocratic and corrupt. They refuse to allow Grant Abraham, who I believe is a, who is who is a Westerner, and so was Joseph Borgo, who is from Saskatchewan, so also a Westerner. He said that like the the West is being excluded from 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 the CPC. It's as if the CPC is taking the West for grant for granted the the Prairie Provinces at least. Mark Dalton, he he was a guy I had hoped he would qualify, but he only raised two hundred thousand and. They need three hundred thousand uh, dollars to move on to the next stage of. Um, and yes, um, Mark Dalton, he's an MP. He's from BC's, but yeah, though I feel like the West is getting taken for granted. Kind, it's kind of like maybe after Polk had defeated. Clay in 1744 the Democrats believed they had the South locked up um that's why in 48 and 52 and 56 they choose uh dough faces like northerners would although those northerners did have southern sympathies you would have Lewis Cass in 48 um Franklin Pierce in 52 and Buchanan in 56. But um, certainly there is sectionalism. And I hope maybe it would be good. Or, uh, who knows? It, it, the CPC might split off kind of like the reform PC split the conservative vote back in 93, 97, 2000. Um, and people credit that Jean Chrétien for having three majorities because of that. Because the uh, the West was mostly disgruntled Southern uh, Westerners. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, while as um, the PC were the socialist light conservatives, the progressive conservatives um, from the East. <laughs> and so yeah, this is. Um, I don't know. You, you can definitely see the sectionalism 
except it's not a north-south sectionalist it's a west-east sectionalist sectionalism uh sectional strife and if this leads up to the break of the of, of the country like i'll be happy like if quebec can leave the federation that would be good but well you know i believe of course in nullification and secession right um and in this case like the provinces the canadian provinces are more decentralist in that regard compared to you know, the states in the united states but um yeah um right now um yeah i'm certainly not going to be voting for patrick brown or jean charret anytime like if they become leader like there's no there's no way these guys are high tax like right now we're in gas prices are through the roof that's um they're well uh, they're over 200 cents per liter and i've never seen this in my life um like and part of it is inflation but another part of this is the gas uh is the, the carbon taxes and that's why like now the conservative premiers like kenny and ford they're cutting down the, the gas tax actually i think kenny got rid of it completely while well, on bc they're really high compared to alberta yeah like alberta's i think it's less than 100 is like 95 cents well i mean it depends on the area but in bc you can see places like over 200 cents because of the carbon tax under premier ndp premier john horgan um another election we can talk about is the provincial election and you know ford is supposed to be the check they're supposed to act as a conservative check against the liberal federal government of justin trudeau but you know he's kind of has a non-aggression pact with him not really fighting for ontario too much um when it comes to like covid i mean the premier francois Le of quebec francois Legault, is fighting but it's because he wants his own you know totalitarian state um essentially and he um his well as jean uh well as doug ford i don't know he's just i don't really see strength in him as a leader and i mean that's what i i really like um jim carajalios who is running a full slate of members um but i if i think ford might win like i i what i think is that ford is going to is is uh has to win by um hoping that the NDP and the Liberals, you know, split enough votes, just like back in 2018. This is, uh, this is basically how, <laughs> how the Conservatives are going to win when the Liberals and the NDP split down the middle, split the leftist vote down the middle. That's how, but it's, it's so crazy how the, this is how Conservatives win. This is because this doesn't happen in the United States. Um... But I really like, you know, the new Blue Party of Ontario, led by Jim Carajalios. His wife was for a former PC MPP, Belinda, Belinda Carajalios, and she she was the only one who was kicked out of 
cock former or current PC MPP who was kicked out no who who voted against Bill 100 when it was like the reopening Ontario Act which would allow oh which would you know give Premier Ford but in his cabinet still have they would still retain some emergency powers and she was kicked out even though Ford said that the only vote that he would have PC MPPs vote on is the the budget and that that was not the budget so he broke his promise and um you know it's not like I disagree with the platform of the Ontario party led by Derek Sloan but he doesn't have a full slate and um there are some other problems with him um his his MPP Rick Nichols um voted in 2017 October 2017 for on the second reading for abortion bubble zones which are you know anti-free speech uh, and he also voted for bill 67 recently this year which was critical race theory oh my goodness so and then he said later he would he made a mistake he didn't understand the legislation which is a bunch of nonsense because he's been in the ontario legislature for three terms like over a decade he should know better than to have voted for this and it's so sad because they uh belinda and rick had started off with having a good relationship because um belinda did back him as deputy speaker and he was removed as deputy speaker like but that was he got kicked because he didn't take a vaccine which you know that sucks and that shouldn't have happened but um but yeah i mean i do have problems with rick nichols although like roger stone does support the ontario party but you know it doesn't have a full slate i i wish they would work together and it, at least i'm happy that derek isn't trying to pull votes from belinda's riding in cambridge because she does he does believe that she does deserve to be reelected, but it's it's i don't know it's a mess that these guys that the the people who got kicked out of Ford's caucus were are not not really working together at all i mean roman baber is doing his own thing like he's of course, he's, he's supported by former conservative MP David Sweet for the CPC leadership race, and he was on the stage. And, you know, I don't disagree with with most of his policies. I think he's against supply management, which is good. But, you know, he should have worked more with the other PC MPPs who got kicked out of caucus while he was still there. Like, he, he had a jobs and jabs bill, which didn't pass, <laughs> um, which would have protected people from... From getting kicked out of their their um their job fired for through vaccination status but i don't know like he um belinda said it didn't go far enough but she still supported it because she wanted to find people find employees who, who would kick them out um randy hillier he doesn't really show up to to the legislature so he was just i don't know going to rallies and campaigning with Maxime Bernier, but, and I don't know, his, his daughter is really hostile to Jim Carhalios. And then one, and then let's quickly talk about Jason Kenney. People think Jason Kenney's going to cheat in, in his uh, leadership review, 
um, because they they made it so that it's mail-in ballots um, in Alberta. I don't know. Um, but he, like, many of his... He's kicked out a couple of guys from caucus, a couple of MLAs. These are members of the Legislative Assembly. But... Um, for dissenting, but there are still some others that are dissenting, and he'll kick them out if he wins. Like he'll he'll give them an ultimatum, say, "Okay, you now now that the leadership uh, the party membership supports me, uh, you can still stay on together and like just go with me, or or you can no longer be a no- nominee for the next election." Um. But yeah, he uh. Some people think he's gonna cheat. Da- uh, I don't know. Danielle Smith and Brian Jean, who were leaders of the opposition and leader, former leaders of the Wild Rose, they they'll throw their hat in the ring if Kenny uh, doesn't do it. Like I don't know, he's been really bad on civil liberties. And I think I remember saying this on the previous episode of this podcast. But Senator John Josh Hawley from Missouri was concerned because he had locked up three pastors uh jason kenny had locked up three pastors and said wow canada is not a place for religious freedom it should be put on the watch list like you know like iran or something or some other places in the middle east um but yeah um that's uh those are all my thoughts this is i i guess it's shorter than usual um I tried to record on my iPhone for this the first take, but um, and then I was trying to record in 4K, but the video file was too big and I couldn't get it on my computer, so I gave up. And this is my second shot. But um, thanks for listening. Um, I'll, um to my podcast. Um, I'll be sure to post another podcast in the future i don't know when but um i haven't decided which book yet to review next but thank you for listening and i'll catch you next time this canadian meets itself